Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Think about it, 2020 has turned many of our lives upside down, so who couldn't use a major dose of hope? I'd like to ask you to share this podcast with friends or on your social media outlets and perhaps review it on Apple so others will find this podcast easily. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and sprinkled in along the way will be additional Romans 828 stories from our She Writes for Him bootcamp graduates and others the Lord brings my way. So let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to our new Redemption Press author, Carol Tetzloff author of Ezra, Unleashing the Power of Praise. You have heard Carol on this podcast in the past. She is not only a Redemption Press author, but Redemption Press's content creator and events director. And boy, does she have an amazing Romans 828 story to share with us today. But first things first, let me give her a proper introduction. Carol Tetzloff has a love for Jesus and his gospel that has navigated the course of her life. Her passion to serve her king and say yes to whatever he calls her to do has led her on a blessed adventure, falling more and more in love with her savior along the way. With a BA in elementary education from Arizona Christian University, and an MA in Curriculum Development from Northern Arizona University, God has allowed her to use her teaching in both the secular and sacred worlds. She has written and adapted curriculum for the public school system and for the church in various ministries from children to adults. This has led her to write Bible studies and teach women both in her church and various other settings, including retreats and conferences. As an author and speaker, she has a passion for discipleship, leading people to know the scriptures and live them out in their everyday life. Carol lives in Gilbert, Arizona, where she is the creative arts and women's ministry director for her church. She also leads several conferences for Southwest Church Connection. These roles have led to a newfound passion to use graphic design and media to reach people for the gospel. She is married to her hero and biggest supporter of her ambitions, Kelly. He affectionately calls himself the box carrier as he accompanies her to many events. They love traveling and spending time with their family forest, which includes 11 grandkiddos. She also loves to shop and spend time with her friends, which usually involves food and always ends with a selfie. Find more on Carol at caroltetzloff.com. And I always love it when I can share some little known facts. So let me clue you in on a few of these. Carol's favorite color is yellow. 
of course, that's why I call her my yellow girl. To relax, she loves to play the piano. Her favorite kind of therapy is retail therapy, and she plans vacations around restaurants. She's always on the lookout for amazing tacos. Well, you are going to love this girl. So let's roll that conversation. Well, Carol Tetzloff, it is a joy to have you back on the All Things Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today to celebrate the launch of your brand new book. Thank you, Athena, for having me. Yes, on the book of Ezra. I'm very excited for that to release with Redemption Press, of course. Yes, yes. So before we dive into the Bible study that you have painstakingly poured your life into and brought it alive to the women who have already gotten to study it, before we jump into that, I would just love for our listeners to hear one of your Romans 828 stories that just illustrates how God can always bring good out of our struggles. Well, there's many, obviously, that we have in our lives with the way that God works. But the one I want to share with you today is actually the one that led me to the book of Ezra. It was about 15 years ago. I was in a very difficult ministry at my church and things were just falling apart. I remember so often praying for God to release me from the ministry that I was serving in. And yet he kept telling me to press in even harder. Um, It was at that time that I began attending a Bible study that a friend had invited me to. I felt at my church that I really wasn't getting Um, what I needed. And I just needed to step away and have someone just pour into me and just be taught. And so I walked into this study and she happened to be studying Ezra. And I remember listening to the narrative of the book of Ezra and how a remnant returned to rebuild the temple and reestablish their worship. And that God used what seemingly seemed hopeless as a people in the exile to bring hope and just restore what was so broken before. And that's exactly what he began to do in my life. And I think what I recognized as the ministries were falling apart around me, people were leaving, and it was just very difficult to be a part of it, that God began to not necessarily change my church, but he began to change me. Mm. He began to show me things that were within my life where I was falling short, where my pride and arrogance were taking over, thinking that I knew what was right and I knew what the best way to do ministry. And he began to just teach me that I needed to refocus my life and really depend upon him. Through that, God began to just launch me into other areas of ministry. At the time I was serving as a children's ministry director and God began to shift and change it and eventually lead me into leading women, which I was very fearful of, but yet he used a very difficult time to launch me into a ministry that has put me where I am today in writing women's Bible studies and teaching women and putting on events and retreats and all kinds of things that bring women before him and really help them to engage in their life with God. 
So it was in a difficult season of my life that God really transformed my heart towards the ministry that he had for me and transformed it in a way that brought a lot of repentance on my part. But I can see now looking back that even though the time was difficult, that it was a rebuilding time in my own life to work it for good. I love that because you probably would have just stayed in children's ministries because it was comfortable. You were excelling. You were, that was where your training was, right? Your curriculum development, all of that. You probably never would have ventured out to minister to women had the struggle not been what it was. Exactly. Exactly. And it's amazing how God brings just the right people at just the right time into your life. This Bible teacher who spoke into my life, but then even different people that he brought to the church that really encouraged me and, and gave me freedom to do things that I was never asked to do before in serving. And so yeah, God was just preparing me all along. As Ezra says, when Ezra's introduced, the phrase that is given several times is the hand of the Lord was upon me. And as I look back, I see his hand completely over my life in that area. Mm. So, so good. Okay. So we're going to just jump into a discussion about Ezra based on your Bible study. So tell us what is the definition the biblical definition of worship? Well, I think the biblical, the biblical definition, that's hard to say. The (laughs) biblical definition of worship is found in the book of Romans. I think Paul defines it really well for us in Romans 12 verse one, where he says, "Um, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your act of proper worship. And so basically proper worship is waking up every single day and placing our lives on the altar, just being able to know that God is going to use us. And the difference between the altar that we are on and the altar that the, they had in the, in the old Testament times is that the sacrifice was dead when it was placed on the altar but we are to be a living sacrifice. And so the tendency is for us to crawl off the altar. And so it's very intentional on our part to make that commitment every day to crawl on the altar and be a worshiper of God alone. Mm. Amen. And I know I purpose to do that every day, but I squirm a lot. And that just makes it worse when I do that. Exactly. Oh, gosh. So what does a life of worship look like? Well, I think a life of worship is defined if you just continue reading in Romans 12, where it says, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by renewing our mind. That way we can test and approve what God's perfect will is for us. One of the things, a definition that I heard a while ago was from um, a pastor out of Texas, and he said this, worship is an act of attention to the living God who reveals, creates, rules, speaks, redeems, orders, and blesses. And it really is that. It's who are we giving our attention to? And whatever it is that we give our attention to is the thing or the person or the item that we worship. And that can be a very convicting realization when we, you know, spend hours on binge watching Netflix or we, you know, 
go crazy at sports events or, you know, all of those things, if that's what has all of our attention, that's what we're worshiping. I think Louis Giglio said something about how God created us all to be worshipers. The problem is some of us have really bad gods. Oh, uh-huh. So, so why do you think people often think worship is associated only with singing and music? I would say because we have been trained that way. We go to a worship center, we have worship music, we have a worship team, we have a worship leader. So really it's in the terminology, the definition of what we have placed upon that word. Um, That's probably the simple answer. Yeah, it's almost like we're brainwashed to think because really getting up in the morning and surrendering and having prayer time is worship. Going and listening to a sermon is worship. Going and fellowshipping with people when it'd be more comfortable to just stay home is worship, right? Exactly. Everything we do is worship. I mean, that's the idea of it. Like it's whatever during our day we place our attention on. That is what we're worshiping. Mm. I think then it comes more as we continue this conversation, but it's more of attitudes that we have that really focuses our worship. That's so good. So what does the term rebuilding worship mean and how do we rebuild worship in our own lives? I think that comes from the tagline of my study, rebuilding broken to beautiful through worship. And it's taking that which is broken in our lives, which is sometimes what we place our attention upon and just resetting that. So really rebuilding our worship is changing our mindset of what worship actually is. It's it's reorienting, not just our heart, but our mind. And it's how we look at things from how we serve at the church. But even more importantly, it's how we look at the tasks of the day. You know, when we're doing the dishes, when we're at our kids' t-ball games, when we're in a board meeting. I recently taped the video series for this study, and a woman wrote me a note in the middle of this, in the study, and she said this to me, and I just thought it was interesting and wanted to share it with you today. My worship mindset is shifting gears, especially starting with the mundane tasks of the week and how I see worship. For me, making dinner for the past 55 years over and over and over. Do you sense my heart in this? Now I offer dinner up to the Lord as honoring him and blessing my husband and Steve while he's one happy camper. I'm trying new recipes and thinking outside the box and planning And it's just in that simple example that her worship shifted when she recognized that even cooking meals for our family is an act of worship. And and I think the best way to shift our mind within this is being thankful. I remember once sitting in a Bible study with ladies around my table and I said, all I do is dishes. Like it doesn't matter. Every single day I come home, there's dishes in the sink. I'll walk away for a few minutes. It seems like I'm always doing dishes. And I had a woman say to me, instead of complaining that there's dishes, be thankful for the ones that place the dishes there. And it really shifted my mindset and my heart as to why I do dishes and why then that could become an act of worship. Hmm. So the woman who wrote you and said about making dinner 
how that changed and she started to plan it. I mean, after 55 years, I could see how that could get just kind of on automatic pilot and to intentionally think about how can I do this? How can I like bless this person instead of, okay, I got to do something. What's easy, which I mean, and that's goes back to that attitude that you were talking about. Exactly. The attitude of our heart. And I totally resonate with her. I was just telling a friend today, my husband used to travel all the time for his job. And now since COVID happened and some other changes in our life, he hasn't traveled for a year and a half. And I, I said to her, it's funny, like he always wants dinner. And I'm like, we just had dinner two days ago. You want me to fix it again? And <laughs> that was just the idea of though, by fixing dinner and you know, it's serving him. And in that way, it's an act of worship to our God. And it's just so simple just to change that heart and that attitude within us to really just be thankful for a husband that I have to cook for that isn't traveling anymore, that is home with me every night. Mm -hmm. So what inspired you to write this study? I think I, I mean, I kind of told that in my Romans 828 story as to just the inspiration that came from from just needing the words and needing what was was taught in that study to change the trajectory of of what my life was looking like. But Ezra still is a lifeline in my life. I think a lot of people don't really know the story of Ezra. And so when you really engage in it and you see a people that were so very broken and taken into exile and then given this amazing miracle to come back, rebuild their temple. They were given all the temple artifacts and they, they rebuild the temple, even though all the, the, the enemies around the, them, the foreign nations didn't want them to, you still see God's hand so greatly on their life. And I think the, the whole book in, in general is just an inspiration to continue the work that God has for us and to do it well and to do it so it pleases him and the outcome of it is so much greater. The temple that they built wasn't just a place for them to perform their rituals, but it eventually housed something so much greater. Um, It was going to house the very son of God who would come as a 12-year-old boy and walk those steps and begin teaching. And so what they saw maybe is not quite as amazing as the old temple would eventually become so very glorious. Mm. Wow. So how are the lives of people in the book of Ezra relevant to us today? Well, they're just people. (laughs) I mean, I think sometimes we put this persona on people that are in scripture, that they are so much more holy and so much more spiritual or so if you look the opposite way, like they're horrible people who sin and depending on which portion of scripture you're in, but really they're just people and they are living their lives with the same concerns of raising their families. You'll see that in the book of Ezra. You'll see that they want to do their jobs and with excellence, you'll see times when things are falling apart and the reasons for it. They want their families, they want their children, their grandchildren to know who God is and be motivated to love him through their obedience. And so they're just people that have a job to do and they struggle sometimes to get it done. But in their struggle, they find their God faithful every single time, even at times when they are not. Mm, Wow. So what specifically 
is the book of Ezra about and what can we learn from it? So Ezra is about the exiles who had been in Babylon for 70 years and they're granted permission to return to their home in Jerusalem and rebuild their temple, which in turn is really rebuilding their worship. And through their narrative, we find that they have pretty much everything they needed, but there are still going to be obstacles that stand in their way. The four nations were going to rise up against them and even put a halt to their building project but they had a greater enemy to fight. And that was their desire to worship worldly things, not necessarily idols that we would see like statues, but they really wanted possessions. And they actually went and they tried to build their own lives apart from the tasks that God had given them. So the book is not just about getting the people to rebuild their temple worship through their laws and traditions from Moses but more of God working out that yuck in their daily life um, to rebuild their hearts and to truly seek after him. And we find the struggle is real because even at the end of the book of Ezra, um, it doesn't really end well. Ezra doesn't have a fairy tale ending. We find there is great sorrow and repentance that has to come from the people from their sin. And that's part of our lives too. Like we learn that every single day. There are things that we do that our lives don't always end like we want them to or go the way we want them to. And so it comes from that realization of who God is and what he's calling us to do and repenting so that he can turn around so they can go into then the book of Nehemiah and be able to rebuild the walls and which ends much more happy. (laughs) Right. And it's kind of like, just, that's really how life is. It's bittersweet. Mm-hmm. There's times when you're just obedient and you're, you're just feeling like, okay, I'm growing. God's refining me. It's good. And then, you know, you just run into yourself again and realize, wow, I, I did not handle that well. And I created more of a problem than I needed to because I didn't watch myself. I didn't, I wasn't in step with the spirit. I wasn't, I mean, that's just, wow. It's just who we are. We, exactly. And, and our churches are full, filled with them. I know. I mean, people that come to church week in and week out, people that are even in Bible studies and they're serving and yet their hearts are not oriented towards really worshiping God. And so it, it is very, something that is very intentional. And, you know, as, as you know, so well, like it starts every single day as we spend time in the word with him, as we pray, as we develop the relationship that will draw us into a life that is focused on him alone. Our attention is towards him. Mm, I love that. So in your Bible study, you say that God designed us to be worshipers, Why do you think people have always struggled with worshiping God alone? I think the confusion lies within, as we talked before, the definition of worship. Today, we don't find a lot of golden idols in our midst. Um, I once heard a, a pastor tell a story about his visit to a remote jungle in India. And in this jungle, there was a monkey temple. 
And in the middle of the monkey temple, there was a golden monkey and people would come to the monkey and they would pray to the monkey. They would sing to the monkey and prophets would come out and bring messages telling the people what the golden monkey said. And when we think of that story, it's both intriguing and incredibly sad that people base their salvation on a monkey. We see the example in the children of Israel, though, you know, before them in the wilderness is this mountain, it's covered in smoke and the presence of God is there and speaking to Moses. And what are they doing? They're down below casting their gold into the fire to melt it so that they can create their idol. And they don't even create like a whale or like some large image. They create a baby calf. Like that's the view of their God. Their view of their God is small, even in the midst of God's glory on the mountain. And so we miss God this way because we choose to worship things that are insignificant. We have our monkey gods too. And our idols are not often things that are morally dark, but they're good things that we've chosen to elevate. It's the idol of self, things that we identify with, um, with what we do, like our healthy lifestyle or our job, our role in life. It can be the thing that we find significance in, and it consumes everything we do at times and who we are. I think it could be our spouses, the expectations that we put on them, our children. We try to elevate them and place them in positions in our life that where we try to find our success. Our idols can be everywhere. The struggle is certainly real. It is. And I just think of people that I know that like are always looking for the next move of God, or they're always looking for some experience. And it's like, so is Jesus not enough that we have to go run looking for something else, even though it's a spiritual pursuit, supposedly that kind of falls in that same category. Exactly. I I think it just helps us as we recognize that within our lives, that we just long to know God more and live each day practicing his presence in everything we do. Cause none of those things are ultimately wrong. It's just that the focus that we place upon them, just focusing our, our minds on the blessed hope. I love the verse in Titus two that talks about how we are to say no to these things, ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled and upright, godly lives. And here's the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of Jesus. Mm. Someday he's going to come again. And we want to be worshiping him when he comes. And that's that scripture in Titus is saying, this is what grace is. Mm -hmm. It teaches us to say no. It doesn't give us carte blanche. Hey, I'm good. I'm saved. Now I can just use grace to excuse bad behavior. And unfortunately, there's a lot of that that happens in the church. Exactly. No, that's really good. It does. It all comes from grace. It stemmed from there. Mm. So what is the one thing you want people to walk away with after doing your study? I think my... My biggest prayer, and it's what really changed in even the trajectory of my life as I wrote the study and studied through all of Ezra, is that we can live our lives in glorious worship of the very one who gives us breath, that we breathe in and out every single day, God, 
I love looking at the name of God in the beginning of scripture. In Genesis 1, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word for God there is Elohim. And the word Elohim just stands for this majestic and powerful God. But there is this beautiful shift that takes place after the entire creation. And it's in Genesis 2 when it says that God, it says the Lord God, so Yahweh, is brought into light. And it says the Lord God bent down and breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. The Yahweh God is a personal God. And he gets face to face with man and he breathes into him the breath of life. And when man takes his first breath, when Adam took his first breath, the first face he saw was Yahweh. Mm. And how ironic that our very last breath here on earth, we will see the face of God again. And so our lives are just this, this span of time between the two breaths. And we breathe in and out. God every single day. Hmm. So I always end every session that I teach with this simple phrase. As we just really focus on breathing in and out every day, the breath of God in our lives through our worship, that the story of our life will be found as worship in his eyes. Hmm. Everything we do, may it be worship to him. Amen, sister. That is so good. So if we have some people listening today and maybe some women out there who are saying, oh, I need to get this Bible study. I need to get our church, our women's group into the book of Ezra and and, and take this study at, to my church and and whatever, whether it's show it to the leadership or or be willing to just host a small group in your home or whatever. First of all, if they want to just reach out to you on social media, where is the best place to find you? Well, they can reach out to me on Facebook, just Carol Tetzloff. Author is my author page. And I'm also on Instagram. So as Carol underscore Tetzloff. You can go to my website, which is probably the easiest, caroltetzloff.com, and all of the things you need are there. You can send me an email from the contact page, and I would love to reach out to you and just pray for you and your group as you do this study. It's something that I've committed to because I know that the book of Ezra, the change that it had in my life, and I I love hearing the stories of the women that have already done the study and what God has done in their own lives. Mm. Well, it has been an honor for us as Redemption Press to help take that manuscript and make it beautiful and something that is, you know, going to bless women. I mean, the content was already there. We just got to help bring it to life. And it has been our honor to do that. So we are excited to see all that God is going to do with it. Well, thank you, Athena. It has been such a joy to work through this process with you and your team. Redemption Press has such a special place in my heart, and not just because I work with you now, but because of just the journey that God has allowed you and to have within my life. I am so thankful that you are not someone that is out there just trying to get business, but you are interested in really cultivating the lives and the relationships of the authors that you have. And you really have a standard of excellence that 
that I am proud to be a part of. So thank you. Mm. Well, thank you. And thank you for spending some time with me today so that we could, in the week of launching this amazing Bible study, um, celebrate with you on this podcast and help get the word out so that those women out there that need to just be refreshed by the truth that you bring. I'm just super excited about it and excited to hear all the feedback that that we hear as it goes out beyond the uh, reach that you've already had. So thank you so much for your time today and Lord bless your ministry. Thank you. Thank you, Athena. Well, I am always so encouraged to hear how God works in women's lives. And this example was no exception. I love how when things were falling apart in that church ministry that Carol was part of, that God asked her to press in rather than walk away. Boy, could we learn from that? I don't know about you, but I have left a few churches because I didn't like what was happening around me. I didn't ask God what he wanted me to do. I just reacted. And I love how she used that opportunity to press in and to grow. And that that opportunity led her to that Bible study. God didn't change the situation at her church, but he changed her and caused her to refocus her life onto him instead of on the circumstances. That is so, so good. And so much what we need to be doing when we go through our struggles. We need to be asking God what he's trying to teach us and how he can use us in the midst of the situation as we walk with him and honor him instead of running away to where it might be more comfortable or less chaos or whatever. I love how he used a difficult season to lead her into where she is today. That is Romans 8.28 in a nutshell. And how her difficult times produced such good fruit. Just the right people at just the right time. I'll bet if you look back on your life, you can see God doing the same thing, bringing just the right people at just the right time to encourage you. And that's what he did with her in this whole season of conflict and struggle. I love as we moved into talking about the Ezra study. I mean, I have to tell you when Carol first came, she was, I was her first appointment at her first speak up conference. And I didn't, I don't remember that being the case. I don't think she told me that at the time. She told me later that I was her very first one-on-one appointment and how scared she was and how she just didn't have a clue what she was doing or very felt very insecure. And I just remember her love for God was so obvious and what she had created and what she presented to me as, I don't believe it was the Ezra study. It was another study that she was um, showing me, but her presentation with her incredible graphics and eye for design and 
heart for truth just was so, I mean, I didn't know whether she'd be able to find a traditional publisher or an agent or whether God would call her to work with Redemption Press. I didn't know any of that. I just knew that I saw quality. I saw excellence. I saw a heart to honor God in the Bible studies that she was creating. And it was just so encouraging to me. And to then see how three years later, God brought us full circle. And after she was already in process working on the Ezra study and publishing that with Redemption Press, God brought her on the team and is using all of those gifts with media and graphic design and event directing to, you know, just bring more new writers along on their journey through Redemption Press and she writes for him. So it's just, I just love looking back and watching how God orchestrated so many things for us to end up working together. But just a couple, I'm just going to take a few highlights from our interview that I want to just emphasize right now before I sign off for today. I love the contrast of Old Testament sacrifice and New Testament sacrifice of worship. How in the Old Testament, the sacrifice was dead. And in the New Testament, we're alive. And that's what makes it a challenge because we don't always want to stay on the altar. I know that is true for me. But to see how we have to just daily recommit and put ourselves back on that altar so that we can be worshiping him in all that we do. I loved her definition and description of worship being who we give our attention to. And oh, how I am convicted so often when I'm putting it, focusing it elsewhere instead, maybe on the circumstances, maybe on the struggles, maybe on some comfort food, or maybe on something that can just take my mind off things that are troubling me but how we need to redirect our focus onto him and to do it in a way that just encourages not only ourselves, but others to focus on him rather than the hard things, rather than the things that want to pull our attention and our, our love. I loved the story about the woman who was convicted about worship in the way that her attitude was toward making dinner for her husband and how she turned that into an act of worship and how Carol talked about her having to make dinner again for her hubby who's not traveling right now. And oh, how we can put our attention rather than on the inconvenience, we put it on loving the person that God's given us to serve. Mm, That was so, so good. And just how serving others in small ways is an act of worship to God. So much, so much good stuff. So much. I'm just so thankful that we are able to learn every day new ways and practical ways to worship God 
and to repent and to humble ourselves and to let God change our hearts. So thank you so much for joining us today on the All Things Podcast. I hope this time blessed you. I want to ask you to pray. And um, if God is leading you to take this study of Ezra to your women's ministry director or someone in your church to consider having as a Bible study for this fall, I would love to see how God opens doors for this study to minister to women all across the country. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you're listening today, check out the Ezra study and ask what God would have you do. And even if it's just to bless you and teach you how to worship him anew, then that's all that I could ask for. So Lord, thank you for this time together. I just pray that you would bless each person who listened today who's listening right now, and just help them to walk with you and worship you with all they have and who they are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today and I will see you next week. Bye for now.